As we start uh, this morning's message, we are into our third week of a series about sharing the good news, and we are also only two weeks away from Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Isn't that crazy? I always feel like the Lent season, I'm like, it's so long, and then I'm in it, and I'm like, it's almost over, uh, and we're, we're just around. Next week is Palm Sunday, and then, we're, and then we're there, and then we're right into Holy Week there. Um, on Easter Sunday, as Gavin said in the video, we'll be having two services on Easter Sunday, 9.30 and 11.15. Um, there'll also be a Good Friday service. And I know sometimes when it's Holy Week, you can feel like there's so many things going on. So I want to make it pretty simple. Easter serves two main purposes in our modern church. One is that it's the most open anybody is in your life to come to a service who doesn't go to church. And so it is an incredibly huge evangelistic opportunity. It's why we have invite cards. It's why we put all this stuff out online for you to share reels and invites online and share it with people on your web presence and in person and handing it out. We put them in shops around Pennington because people are really open to it. Our whole culture in Western society is built around AD, BC, centered around the idea of the resurrection of this man, Jesus Christ, who is also God. And so people are open to it. So take that opportunity. It is also, and we understand this, the most sacred holiday we have for those of us that call in the name of Jesus. It's our day. It's our day to reflect on the grace in which he's shown us and the intimate nature of that. So the weekend flows that way. Friday, all about those of us that follow Jesus. You can invite someone to come to a Good Friday service, but it's going to be kind of sad and it's going to be pretty dark and that's a part of it. If you're, you have a friend that like maybe in the 2000s was really emo and wore a lot of eyeliner, invite them to Good Friday. That can be the first service for them. But otherwise, it's, it's for us. It's for us to dive in and come into that intimacy together at 6.30. And then Easter is too. My strong encouragement to all of us at Pennington AG Church is... I know there's a lot on Easter, and you have the ham coming, and it's a big thing, and your kids are antsy to run around and chase eggs, but to give that morning to the work of the resurrection, and our encouragement is attend one service, participate in that with all of who you are, serve in another service, participate in that way with all of who you are. Sometimes we're doing, you know, one service, and I'm partly serving, I'm partly present. We want on Easter you to be fully in when you're serving at whichever service you serve at, and then fully in when you're participating and worshiping in whatever service you are worshiping in. I know that's twice as much as we normally ask, but it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's Easter weekend. That's just two weeks away. Um, and we will be setting everything up towards that end of making the most out of that Sunday. Today, as we talk about sharing the good news of Jesus, we are talking about our own personal responsibility of inviting others, building relationships, sharing with those the good news of what Christ has done in our lives. And I was thinking about this, and it brought me back to, and this might seem like a sequitur, the hit Broadway musical Lion King. Now, Lion King has been a Broadway musical for a long time, um, about the length of Gavin's lifetime, is when Lion King, a Gavin lifetime away, the Broadway musical started. So about 25 years it's existed. I live in New Jersey, as many of us do, which also means that I take the city for granted. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's the city. It's expensive. I, I can go when, I don't know. I'll get, I'll get and see it one day. I'll, I'll be there. I know that The Lion King it was significant and a hit musical. I grew up the perfect age of Lion King, the animated 
movie. It's what I watched at my grandparents. They had three VHSs. That was one of them. That and a, a weird one called Rags to Riches, like a, an off-brand Annie kind of thing, uh, and then Aladdin. <laughs> I would rotate through those three every time I was there. So I was the peak demographic. I also knew the original Simba, because I went to camp with them, who grew up to be one of the Jonas brothers. So I knew the Lion King. I know some of you are already shocked in the implications of that little bit of information, but I knew the Lion King, but I never went. I was like, yeah, I'd probably like it, but whatever. It's always kind of there. Last Christmas, our parents decided almost kind of randomly to buy all of us tickets to go see the Lion King on Broadway. And so it was like, all right, yeah, mom bought them. We'll do it in April. We'll go see the show. I Loved it, guys. It was awesome. I mean, the opening number, there's like a literal elephant walking down the aisle next to me, and an antelope made eye contact with me, and the music is swelling, and I'm thinking about all the implications of Africa and the culture being celebrated, and those who didn't get a chance to celebrate it now is, and they're owning this show, and all the swells and feelings are hitting me, and I'm like, I'm loving this experience. And I always knew it was there, but it wasn't until somebody invited me that I was like, all right, I'm going to go. This is the truth of the gospel and the good news. We know it. We know we're made for something more than just the toil of our lives of day in and day out. It's there in the back of our minds and souls of all who are born in the image maker of the one who created us. We know this. It's there. It's buried for many of us, but it's there. And for so many, it just takes an invitation from someone who has experienced Christ Jesus to say, hey, come and see what he's done in my life. Come and see what he can do in your life. Come and see how good Jesus is. We're going to look at an example of this in the beginning of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 46. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. There are Bibles under half of your chairs, or on your uh, smart device, you can pull up your Bible app and read along with me. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 46. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said. And then he followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, he exclaimed. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. There are so many different avenues and experiences in this passage of people sharing Jesus, different ways that they came to know him, different avenues of it. But one running thread is each of these men were sought out and invited into this experience of Jesus. Let's kind of break them down. Andrew, first one in the passage, hears about Jesus from another religious leader, from John. 
John is baptizing. John is pretty famous at this point. He does great works. He's eccentric. He baptizes people, lives in the desert. But people do respect and value what John has to say. They do think he's a a holy man. And Andrew hears from John, another traveling evangelist, another religious leader, who says, oh, you should go to this guy. His services are better. He has more power than I do. And John, another religious leader, points Andrew to Jesus. So Andrew has an experience at a different kind of church service, discovers Jesus. This happens for a lot of us. People point us there, other people who are religious. Then Andrew goes home and tells his brother, Simon. Simon, who becomes Peter, who's very, very famous. And Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And I think that there's an aside here when we talk about evangelism or sharing the good news or just talking about our faith. Andrew unless you watch the show Chosen, is not really a central character in the Gospels. Andrew is there, but his brother, oh boy, is a central character of the Gospels and Acts and church history. If you're Catholic, Peter is the first pope. He's the guy built the church on the shoulders of this man. Andrew met Jesus first. And there's got to be some brotherly stuff going on there. Gavin will say this, Gavin on staff here, that his brother came to church first and then brought Gavin. And he's like, you know, you love that church, work there, but uh, I'm the one who shared it with you. You know that, right? I came first and then, then you came after. But I think an important thing to know here is that for some of us, the greatest thing we may ever do is inviting someone else into the journey. And that's okay. That's okay. The greatest thing is that I brought someone else in and then they took off like a rocket. Sure, you want credit for that? You got it. You get shared credit for it. It is all for the same purpose and the same win. Sometimes we may feel like I'm not that evangelist. I'm not that person. I'm not that worship leader. I'm not that compassionate person. If you are continually inviting others in, you get that credit along with, baby. You get it. You get it too. You brought them in. And that might be your story, and that's still an awesome, phenomenal story. And then Peter has this crazy encounter with Jesus. All right, think about it. Andrew is the one who meets him, tells Peter, you got to come. Well, Simon. Simon comes. You get invited to a show, right? If you're older, Tony Robbins event. If you're younger, Mr. Beast is doing a viral event in town, right? And you are just brought there. Someone brings you. You're like, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm coming. And then Tony Robbins or Mr. Beast or me, because I look like him, looks you right in the eye and says, you, you're the one. Come up here on stage. I'm changing your name. You're going to be a central part of this. Can you imagine that experience? You just came to see it, and all of a sudden, you're in it. You're a part of the show. You're a part on stage. This is Peter's experience. Someone invited him. In the minute, boom, he's drawn into it like a skyrocket, moving into it. Then we have Philip. Now, Philip gets his own experience that's supernatural, and I'm a little bit jealous of when you read the story, Jesus finds him personally. It's not someone else. Jesus, it says Jesus comes and finds Philip and calls Philip himself. And this does happen. I have known friends that have just been living their own life and felt like the Spirit of God called them and a college experience. So I had a friend who literally just said, I was at college, I was struggling with my own identity, and I felt like a voice inside of me said, go and buy a Bible. 
And I went and bought a Bible. And I read it on my own. I didn't go to a campus ministry. I didn't go to a church. I just started reading the Bible. And in it, I met with Jesus. And Jesus called me and saved me and transformed me. And then I had to figure out all the rest of it afterwards. I had to find other Christians and all of these things. It does happen, but it is the exception. It's not the rule that Jesus came and found Philip on his own. And Philip invites his brother Nathaniel. And it's this quirky, weird little experience where he invites Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's a little sassy with Philip. He's like, oh yeah, he's from Nazareth. Anything cool come from Nazareth? You know, you're a New York Giants fan. You're from the city. You're a Yankees fan. You've had a real cushy life. And then you have a friend from Philadelphia, and you're like, oh, Philadelphia? Can anything good come from Philadelphia that's not covered in cheese? Is that even possible? Nathaniel's sassy about like what this Jesus guy is going to do, but he comes. And let that be an encouragement to you as well. When we share the gospel, when we invite other people into this, it is like a vulnerable, scary thing to invite someone to it, right? Because part of it is you're saying like, this is something that's really important to me. This means something to me. This is how I view the world. This gives my life purpose and meaning. This speaks value to my life. And when you share that with someone, and maybe the first time, and they go, nah, it like feels crushing, right? You showed part of your soul, and then it feels like it's shot down. Philip has a little bit of that, shares it with Nathaniel. Nathaniel's like, eh, I don't know. But he comes. So you might share an invitation to Easter, Christmas, a random service with somebody, and they might shoot you down. Don't let that lose hope. Might not be the first invite, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You might say to someone like, hey, I know you think that this is silly or stupid, but just come back and trust that the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit does, transforms people. Nathaniel comes, and he's transformed. He is a disciple of Jesus. Now, one of the most famous disciples. He's not Bartholomew, but he is not one of the most well-known, but he is an intimate follower. He's one of the 12. Comes in a little bit skeptical. And I think one of the main themes we see in John chapter one, I think is a very human theme as well. We invite others to share the things that matter to us. This is a natural human expression. This is what's going on in John chapter 1. Something significant is happening in their lives, and the human response is to share it with others. To share it, to bring others in. You've got to experience this, right? You're eating it, you're like, you've got to taste this. You're watching it, you, you've got to watch this show. It flows out of us. It's so natural because we are human, communal, relational beings, when something significant happens to us, we tell others, come and see it. It matters. I know that there are mixed responses to my life when I experience something significant, whether it's a conference or a book I just read or even a food I just ate. I am that guy that's like, you gotta hear this. You gotta experience this. If, boy, God's grace on you if you get trapped in a car with me after I've been to a conference that mattered a lot to me because you're gonna basically experience that conference in that car ride. I'm gonna tell you all of it. I can't help it. It was awesome and I want you to experience it too. Michael Green, a historian and church scholar, says this, 80% or more of evangelism in the early church was done, 
not by ministers or evangelists, but by ordinary Christians explaining themselves to their friends and family. That's how the church grew and spread. 80% of it is just people who come into this community and it means something to them and they're explaining it to their friends and their family. Something new has happened in my life. Something has been transforming in me. I gotta tell you, you gotta hear about this. That is the basis of evangelism in the early church. Not pastors, not evangelists, but average people experiencing transformation. And people paid attention to the gospel, and the gospel message was just as radical then as it still is today. It wasn't normal to say all of our Jewish faith has now been pivoted and changed and transformed. Laws of physical nature have been upended by this guy, Jesus. That was a radical message. And people would hear that message and be like, that's insane. But if someone you know and you trust and you care about is the one telling you it makes a difference. A radical wild story told to me by someone I know is not insane, told to me by someone I know cares about me and is not trying to manipulate me, makes a difference. People today, and I know this, don't trust pastors maybe in the way they used to or evangelists or YouTube stream videos or sermons. They don't trust them in the same way they once did, but we still trust our friends and our families and our loved ones the same way we always have. And to be able to say, I love you, and this is important to me, and I want you to know it. People in the ancient church were led to Jesus by their friends and their family. That's just the fact of how the church grew. This is the same way it grows today and now. It's a natural response in the Gospels. We see it all throughout the Gospels. John chapter 6, woman at the wells, Rachel shared last week has an experience with Jesus, has to go and tell others, come and see. John chapter 9, a man is born blind, Jesus gives him sight, and he goes and says, come and see what this man has done. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, Gerasene demoniac is delivered, and he says to Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, nope, that's not your call. And he says, well, I can't help it. I'm going to go tell other people anyway. Even in the gospel of Mark, where there is a strong tendency for Jesus to tell people, Shh, don't tell others about this. People still go, ah, I gotta tell them anyway. I gotta share it. It's going on. So many people are disobedient to Jesus in Mark, simply around him saying, don't tell others. They say, I gotta tell others. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm not gonna follow you in this way. I gotta share it to others. It is the natural response in the New Testament that when people discover the goodness of Jesus, they tell others the goodness of Jesus. Almost in a sense, I can't help it. It is flowing out of me. How do we do this? And I'm gonna land on this mostly today because I think it's culturally relevant for us in 2023, considering the last years and some cultural changes. But it's done through cultivating loving relationships. Tim Keller uh, recently retired, pastored a church up in New York City, um, and has a movement now called How to Reach the West Again, and they're really reevaluating how to share faith in our climate now. And they said there are two factors in sharing faith. First one is you got to know what you're sharing, 
And that's actually knowing what the gospel is, loving Jesus yourself, knowing the scriptures, praying and spending time in his presence. That needs to be a part of it. Otherwise, what are you sharing someone with? What are you inviting them to? You got to do that. They said, that's assumption one. Assumption two, they said, might be surprising that many Christians don't have this. You have to have actual relationships with people that aren't also Christians in the church. And many people don't have that, particularly in 2023. We just don't have as many relationships as we used to. We're not as good at it as we used to be. We're not as relational as we once were. How do we regain that aspect of being relational? How do we intentionally love others? Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the apostle Paul says what I think is a really beautiful sentence. He says, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Do all that you can that you are someone in your community that people see as that person has value. That person is loving and kind. That person is filled with joy and is gracious. We enjoy being around this person. They are a connector. They are a light. Jesus in the Gospels is incredibly attractional. People seek him out. They go and find him. Sure, he rubs religious people the wrong way at times. Well, that might be an understatement. He attracts vulnerable people who are in need, who are suffering and lost. They find him. They literally rip roofs off of houses in order to come and be near him. Do we live lives that are similar? Does someone want to rip the roof off of a house to be near you? Does someone seek you out? Every person in John chapter 1 is operating out of relationships that have been built. That's the foundation for the conversation, relationships. John, John the Baptist is building relationships. He's attractional himself and he's loving people and he's living his authentic life that people recognize Jesus is searching out disciples. He's going and finding them, investing in them, speaking value and life into them. Brothers are inviting brothers. Come and see what's happening. Every person in John 1 is in relationship, responding to relationship, and sharing the good news in relationship. It's the defining feature. And genuinely, because in 2023, we stink at relationships. So let's just call it what it is. We're not that good at it anymore. I'm not even as good at it as I was three years ago. And if you look at my Myers-Briggs and my Enneagram, I'm basically a golden retriever. That's my personality. I am loving to be around people, super friendly. And in the fall, speaking with my counselor, he said, I think you've lost some of that in who you are. I think we all have. Let's look at six ways to strengthen our relationships. Six ways to be intentional about this. And this is gonna be biblical and cultural. I took a New York Times article from this year about building relationships in 2023, and then I took it through my own filter and the filter of scriptures. This is New York Times plus Bible plus Brian. Six ways to build relationships right now in a culture where we're not very good at it. Number one, know that you are loved and liked. The New York Times article said, go into every situation believing that those people like you, um, which I think is helpful, but also could be a lie. I go in knowing that I'm loved and liked by the one who created me, breathed life into me. And I can move into relationships with people who might not like me, or I might rub the wrong way because of our personalities, because I know that I have value, that I am loved and I am liked by the one who made me. 
Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. It says, aren't five sparrows sold for a penny, but God cares about those sparrows. You're worth way more than a sparrow. God cares about every hair on your head. Romans 8, 15 and 16 say, you are now sons and daughters. You call God as Abba, Father now. You call him as the intimate term of daddy, dad, father. You have value as a child of God. Oftentimes, the greatest obstacle to relationship is our insecurity that people want to be around us. And it is such a tragic double-edged sword because the people who want relationship the most are oftentimes the ones who kind of rub everybody else the wrong way and don't want to be in relationship with them. I've seen it. I've prayed for people over that. I've experienced it in my own friendship circles. It is tragic to watch those who so badly want to be liked and everybody else picks up on it. And what is happening is each person subtly knows that this person wants to suck affection out of them. I need it and I'm going to take it from you because I'm so insecure about it. And we don't want that energy sucked out of us. So we kind of make a subtle liking but distance between them. But we also know that person who everyone wants to be around, who is just so self-confident, knows how loved they are, probably skateboard, have cool sunglasses, and we're like, that person's the coolest. But it's not because they skateboard, although that's cool. It's because, that's such a dated reference, but I still think skateboarders are cool. I'm just being honest. I've never been able to do it. Uh, But someone who knows who they are, and knows the value they have. I want to be around them because I know that person's not going to pull love and value out of me. They're going to be giving it into me because they're filled with it. And so the first thing, when I go into relationships, I am reminded that I am already filled with love and value by my Savior, by my God, who loves and cares for me infinitely and deeply. So I can go into relationships ready to give because I'm already filled, right? That is the power of a Christian in relationship. Number two, don't underestimate small acts of kindness. Don't devalue them. Oh, it's just a letter. Oh, it's just a text. Oh, it's just some cookies. Don't undervalue the act of being kind and what that does to transform other souls. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I genuinely believe that kindness is one of the most countercultural values we have right now. Because kindness is not valued. Kindness is complicity. If you're not destroying someone who is ethically working from a different framework than you, then you're just as bad as them. If you show kindness or grace to anyone, well, what, what are you doing? Our value is in our fighting nature, whereas the gospel says, be people who lose every fight. Just throw our hands up. You win. I love you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to be kind to you. Another New York Times article from this year focused on a study that says, When it comes to acts of kindness, those giving kindness routinely undervalue the act. And those receiving kindness routinely overvalue the act. So the largest disparity of showing someone they're loved and valued is simply a small act of kindness. Takes the least from you to get the highest return from another. 
One random text message, a cup of coffee, bringing it over to a friend, a ride home after an event, cooking for someone, cooking anything for someone, or a short text or email, DM, whatever, expressing your appreciation for someone. Three, embrace casual check-ins. Embrace popping in, touching base, being still present. Fight the nature of ghosting somebody. Put the ghost to death again and then love them and embrace them. We have the New Testament because people wrote letters to one another. That's why we have them. They were communicating with each other. Not always because they were super happy with each other, but they kept the channels of communication going. We have cell phones, we have emails, we have the internet, we have a million apps that can communicate with one another, and there's so many of them that we now devalue it. Keep communication going. The University of Pittsburgh did research about this idea of random check-ins, and they said a boost in someone else's sense of value and meaning can come from as little as two letters that you text someone, hi, Receiving that alone means, oh, someone thought of me, someone remembers me, someone values me, and they made literally the least effort possible, but reached out to me. They hit three buttons, H, I, and send, uh, and they made that effort. Continue to casually check in. In a culture where everything is swirling and moving, let other people know that you remember them and think of them. Fourth, turn towards people throughout the day. What does that mean? Um, is that a body posture thing? Is that a Broadway two-thirds on stage thing? I don't know what that is. Turning towards others is such a beautifully rich biblical principle that when we read the Old Testament, we often read that the presence of God was, was near someone. They say it's an English translation that doesn't quite get at what the Hebrews are meaning when they literally said that God turned his face towards them. Because in the human mind and heart, there are things that happen when another face looks at us with joy and appreciation. They actually went as far as to say, some researchers, that joy is defined as seeing another person's face that they receive pleasure when we enter the room. And that's all that joy is. That someone else was made better by my existence. They say it's why the formative years of your childhood are your parents looking at you as a baby. It's why God made us so darn cute as babies so that people would look at us and smile and coo and express adoration over us. It forms our brains. And social and neuro researchers say that for children who grow up without close families and without that contact, almost irreversible damage is done by not at a formative age, seeing joy expressed by a face turned to them. They said, you can still do work towards that. We can live as people who turn ourselves towards others, who maybe, as followers of Jesus, submit our own pocket computer universes to silence when we're at dinner, at coffee, in a conversation, that my face is turned towards you that I practice working eye contact. And for some of us, that's hard, but that I practice looking at someone 
and valuing them in my face, in my posture, in my body, that I am turned towards them in the way that the Father, because of Christ Jesus, is turned towards me. Fifth, don't be surprised by broken people. People are not saviors. People are people. They're broken sinners. In the same way, I am a broken sinner. And much resentment and distance and unforgiven, unforgiveness happens because I'm expecting too much out of a sinful, broken person in need of grace and mercy. When I realize that other human beings are not saviors, when I realize that I myself am not a savior, that only Jesus Christ is a savior, I can show way more grace to the people around me and show grace to myself. Romans 3.23, a powerfully sobering passage for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is not condemning language. This is freeing language. This is setting other people free from a prison you have put them in, that they need to be Superman or Wonder Woman that they need to be Jesus in your life, that if I just married this right person, they would save me. All those doubts I have about myself, my own self-value, my fears, my concerns, my guilt, they're gonna be gone because this person's gonna love me exactly for who I am. I'm gonna rip the Band-Aid off for you right now. No, they're not. Have you done that? It's not human capacity to do in this fallen world. We try and we make strides and there's grace and there's beauty in it, But to expect someone else to save you is to put a crushing burden on them. That freeing relationships come from accepting our friends and family as they are, and when they are broken, lovingly pointing them back to Jesus, who makes them who they are called to be, and ourselves not judging and turning off and distancing. Now, I'm going to say there is a caveat towards systematic abusers, and when you need to create distance and to protect yourselves, that is true and real and healthy to do. But don't be surprised by the people in your life being broken people. And now six, celebrate their success and their joy. Philippians chapter one, verse seven. I love the intro of Philippians. I've read it over so many friends in ministry and in life. And Paul says, it is so good that I feel this way about you. And he celebrates all the good things that God is doing in that church. He could start off with, it's so good that you feel this way about me. I'm going to Rome. I'm planning these churches. Look at all this cool stuff I'm doing. And then he points out all of their flaws. But instead, Philippians, unlike any other letter, Paul is just talking about how great this church is. And he's celebrating them. And he's excited for what God is doing in their lives. This is how we know if we are loving well, can you celebrate the other person's victories if it also highlights your own inadequacies. Can you do it? Christ calls us to. That's what love is. I'm so glad you got the job and I didn't. I'm so glad you got the girl and I didn't. And they're making a Hallmark movie about us. I am so glad that you are doing well. Even if I, at this stage of my life, am currently struggling, I'm still going to celebrate what God is doing in your life. And I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader. I'm so excited. Let's celebrate. So to summarize, 
Know that you're loved and liked. Don't underestimate small acts of kindness. Embrace casual check-ins. Turn towards people throughout the day. Don't be surprised by broken people. Celebrate their success and their joy. And all of this is not a tee-up so you can give them an Easter invite card. That's not what the gospel is. That's not what Jesus is. It's so that you love them well, as Jesus Christ has loved you well, so that we are agents of light in a dark world, so that we are agents of salt in a tasteless world, so that we are agents of love and grace in a world of chaos and hurt. Having said that, let the gospel be a normal part of your life. Let it be a feature of who you are. If it doesn't actually flow out of you, I would just encourage you back to our last two weeks of sermons of what is God speaking into your life? Where are you reminding yourself of the gospel? How is it affecting your life? Most people in your life, as we said, will come to church. They're just waiting for an invitation. These stats are now a little bit out of date, but it's hard to get current ones. But LifeWay produced this in 2020, uh, 2012. 67% of Americans say a personal invite from a family member would be a very or somewhat effective way of getting them to visit church. 63% of Americans say a personal invite from a friend or neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. 63% of Americans are very or somewhat willing to receive information about a local church body from a family member. 56% of Americans are somewhat willing to receive information about a local congregation from a friend or a neighbor. I share you these stats because what it means is they are more likely to come than not. We have in our heads that they're, it's the opposite. I'm going to share, they're not going to like it. I'm going to share and they're not going to come. I'm going to share and they're going to be against me. But to think in the hope perspective of the Spirit working in your life that they are more likely to come than not if you simply just invited them. If you also noticed from the stats, there's a subtle note in there too. The closer and more intimate the relationship, the more likely they are to receive an invite. You can't just like have one conversation with your barber and then hope that that's going to do it. You got to actually love and be in relationship with people. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says it like this. Famously, powerfully, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. As John chapter 1 shows us, we are the agents of invitation. We are the agents of Christ's love transferred into the world and the relationships around us. Some of you may, honestly, in a series like this, be saying to yourself, boy, I, I do need to be working on my relationship with Jesus. I do. I need to be in the scriptures, practicing silence and solitude. I need to be wrestling with my own sin. Yeah, okay, I get that. And some of you may say, you're right. I don't have a lot of relationships I'm pouring into and I need to think about that. I need to invest in that. I need to love people well. And hopefully today started you on a small journey of that. But at the end of all of it is Jesus. 
At the end of all of it is his goodness and his grace and his beauty and his power and his mercy. And we live in a world where we have a message and they're not going to hear it, but through people who care and love them. They may hear it from me. You could share a link to a sermon from anyone who's a better preacher than me, but they don't trust these women and men in the same way they trust you. They trust what God's doing in your life and what your experience has and has been. It's relational. Like the Lion King. I knew it existed, but it wasn't until someone I knew just gave me an invitation. There may be people in your life waiting on that invitation, just waiting on that conversation. And how can they know unless you share with them? How can you share with them unless you're loving them well? We have on your chairs, and we've had them for all of these weeks, uh, a little card for three names. I want to challenge you this morning on that card, write down three names that God's put on your heart. Just take an intentional step. Hey, these are three people that I feel like I care about that are not here in the church. And begin praying for those people. You have two weeks till Easter. And then if they don't come at Easter, you've got to wait a whole year. And then only invite, no, you can invite them the next week. That's fine too. But they're just more open at Easter. Pray over those three names and ask God to give you opportunities. Ask God to be drawing them into relationship. And then as you pray for them, when you see those opportunities arise, invite them. Share an invite. I don't know. You can even just share it on your story and tag a friend on your Instagram account. You can make a really cool TikTok video where there's music playing and you're pointing to different invite things for Easter service and then your friend's name at the end. Or you could just talk to them and invite them to Easter service. Invite them to come and see what the Lord has done, not just in our community, but in your life. What he's meant to you, what he's been doing in your life. As you pray for them, name them, pray for them, invite them, love them, and then invite them again. Because, and we'll end on this, you are God's primary means to love the world. You are. Don't take that as too much pressure. But you are. The church is God's means to love the world. That's why when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we don't poof, end up at the resurrection. It's not someone gets saved and then boom, they're gone. We stay here to be agents of love, to be agents of sharing the love of Christ Jesus his goodness and his mercy. That's why you're here, to love this world as Christ has loved you. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for so many things, for the breath in our lungs, for a promise of eternal life, for forgiveness from sin, for freedom in our life from sin, doubt, shame, guilt, death, and we thank you, Jesus, for your character that you revealed to us who the Father is, the Father who made us. And Jesus, may we live out of that fullness 
May we even just leave this place today so filled with your presence and your spirit and your joy that it overflows out of us naturally into who we are and every conversation we have. If you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you just want the confidence to be able to say, yes, I do believe, I want to know Jesus as Savior, as friend, as God. I wanna give you a chance to pray that this morning and all of us in the room who may know Jesus already, we can pray this together as a commitment and a reminder. If you'll pray with me. Jesus, I want to know you as Savior, as friend, as God. Jesus, I believe that you lived on this earth fully God, fully man, and you lived a perfect, sinless life that you loved greatly and showed mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And that you died on a cross in our place for our sin, for our shame. And you took our sin on yourself. You died a sinner's death that you did not deserve. That you were buried in the ground And on the third day, you conquered death. You conquered sin. You conquered slavery to be born, renewed, resurrected, free. And that by your resurrection, Jesus, we live with the promise that we would be resurrected one day. And that we would live a resurrected life full of grace and mercy. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you all the days of my life. In your name, amen and amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. As we close out, I'll ask you to do a couple things. One is our elders will be on the left and the right. If you want to receive prayer, we do believe that when we come together and lay hands on one another, the Holy Spirit moves and works among us. And we would love to pray with you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. If there are needs that you have that you just need someone to pray, we would love to do that with you. But I also want to just address the cards you have. As you thought about those names, as you maybe wrote those names down, I want to also give you a chance at the end of the service, just take a step out of your seat and hold those names as a commitment. God, I want to see you do a transformative work in their lives. I want them to know the love and grace you've shown me for them to see and know and have for themselves. The altars are open. If you want to respond that way, we're up here to pray for you. The team is going to lead us in one final song as we pray over those names that the Lord has put on our heart this morning.